You're listening to the Film Marketing Academy podcast, the audio series dedicated to helping filmmakers create better film marketing campaigns faster. Join your host, Pascal Fintoni, for what promises to be an exciting and intriguing voyage of discovery filled with advice, stories, and film marketing ideas. Thank you for tuning in. And now, on with today's episode of the Film Marketing Academy podcast. Space is big, really big. You just wouldn't believe how vastly, hugely, mind-bogglingly big it is. I mean, you might think it's a long way down the street to the chemist, but that's just peanuts to space. Listen, that is one of the introductory paragraphs to The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Now, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was originally a radio show back in the late 1970s, early 1980s. It then went on to become a series of books. It went on to become a series of LP records. It became a stage play. It became a box set of CDs of the original radio show. And finally, in 2004... It became a film. Now, I personally have absolutely loved all the iterations of Hitchhiker's Guide for nearly three decades. But Pascal, you've only recently watched this film for the first time. So what do you think? What did I think of the film? I thought this was you know someone entering you know a crazy man's mind <laughs> and trying to make sense of, of all of this but I, I think frankly it's it's a delightful experience to watch the film for the first time because then you've got to seek out more information about the author of the book about the producers you want to understand more about you know, the vision and some of the key messages so it's it's a film that uh, although it's only been a few days for me it's going to stay you know, with me for for quite some time roger but i'm also very aware of its incredible heritage but it's also for me what we're going to call very british but in a very good way only a British author and only a British casting crew production team could pull this off. Absolutely. And I mean, when you trace it right back to the radio show, the the idea of the book being like an electronic gizmo, I mean, in, in, in fact, I mean, Douglas Adams was pr- prophesizing the future with this book. You know, the the original idea for The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was almost like a tablet device you'd type questions into and it would give you answers. And, you know, he'd type in a question like, what is the Earth? And it would go, da-da-da-da, And then the, the voice would reply in, in spoken word. And, of course, that worked perfectly on the radio. But then when they went on to make a TV series, they actually animated the book bits and of course, everybody said, no, no, you can't just have a bloke reading a book for 15 minutes on the TV. But on the TV, they incredibly animated each of the book segments. Now, in the film, for necessity, they had to trim them down significantly. But even in the film, they still retain those the bits of the book, reading out bits about uh, ravenous bugblatter beasts of trial and vogons and things like that. It's, uh, it's, it's a remarkable heritage. And it, you could almost say that the, that the film is, is the culmination of 30 years of different iterations of the, of the source material. 
And what is interesting is for me, so all this was happening um, in the UK and obviously in France, we didn't have it. Or suddenly I, I missed it completely. The only time I was aware of its existence was during a school trip in the 80s where mm -hmm. I was well, well into role-playing games. So I was going from store to store looking for Dungeons and Dragons and other form of RPG items. And in the stores, you could buy a version, uh, a role-playing game version of Doctor Who and the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. But yeah. to me, they were yeah. like foreign, and I didn't understand any of it. In fact, I thought Doctor Who was a question. Um, I, I was being asked. <laughs> I was too much into my Dungeons and Dragons and Lord of the Rings type type scenario. But so I was aware of it, but never consumed any content. I was aware of the the fandom behind it. So suddenly, when the movie came out, and when I saw the trailer, I remember thinking, "Wow, this this I must see." There was elements, and, I, and again, I think it's meant uh, with great uh, affection. Elements of the Monty Python in there for me. There was elements of the wit of the written word from English authors that you don't find mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. any other other nations. But also the completely. Uh, kind of zany i mean some of the world some of the creatures some of the um the characters so in this movie we have uh, sam rockwell playing zaphod bibblebrox which to me back to where i was saying a moment ago sounds like a very badly thought dnd &D character that you you came up with very very quickly and the the manner in which you know within this kind of crazy universe you have clear messages of issues that were important to adam douglas which is around the environment and yep. conservation around technology and to ultimately the you know kind of consequences of having too much power too much bureaucracy and of course religion so it's all in there in two hours and of course the whole premise of the film and the, this was the premise of the first of the series was this this quest for the ultimate answer <laughs> to life the universe and everything and and there can't be any of us who haven't at one point just sat back and thought just what is it all about and and of course what they what they're saying is that in the massively dim and distant past people built a computer called deep thought and asked that computer to tell them what the answer was to life, the universe, and everything. And, and of course, the computer says it can do this, but it's going to take seven and a half million years to run the program. <laughs> and, of course, these people are extremely disappointed. <laughs> They're going to have to wait that long to find out the answer. And then they skip forward in time, and deep thought reveals the answer to the question. And, of course, the answer is 42. And you've got that sort of crescendo build-up to this, and they go, what, 42? Seven and a half million years, and that's what we've waited for? And then, of course, the next stage is they've got to build an even bigger computer to actually work out what the actual question was to which the answer was. I mean, it's all complete nonsense, isn't it? Mm. But it, it has that link to reality that, however absurd, you know, you can think, you know, I do want to know what the answer to everything is. And I think that, that what Douglas, Douglas Adams achieved with this is writing utter farce and utter fiction, but making it just slightly believable. I mean, the way he describes things like the infinite improbability drive, mm. the infinite improbability drive is a fabulous new way of crossing interstellar distances with all that, without all that tedious mucking about in hyperspace. He writes it with such technical 
authority that you could almost believe that it was technically possible what he's actually saying, which is absurd, but his writing was just incredible. And, of course, they've turned that into visuals in the film. It's true satire, like they used to do a few centuries ago. If you think about some of the mm. plays of Shakespeare, if you think some of the cartoons, some of the newspapers, you know, being critical of authority figures, but not really revealing who they were talking about. That's really what this movie reminds me of. And there's some real moment where you laugh a lot at the absurdity, and someone should go, that's really clever. And then other times you, you kind of go, that's a bit scary because we are either in the middle of it, mm-hmm. in the case of you know animal species who are disappearing, the same way the dolphins go, and I'll, I'll let you explain that bit in a, in a moment, uh, all the way to the way in which bureaucracy has taken over uh, reason in some part of, of the world and in some sectors. Yeah, it, uh, the, the bit about the dolphins, I think I, 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 this is probably one I can't remember, but it says it, it is in court, of course, a fact that no, not many people realise is that man is in fact only the third most intelligent species on the planet Earth. And then it goes on to say that the dolphins are the second ones and the dolphins actually managed to get fed up with human beings and decided to leave and they said something like, so long and thanks for all the all fish. The fish yeah. <laughs> uh, but of course that means that there is still the reveal as to who the most intelligent life forms on the planet are. And I'll leave that one to people who haven't watch the film or read the books or seen the play or listen to the music or, mm. or whatever it might be. I mean, it, 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 what I would hope is that if, if somebody watches this film, it would give them the incentive to go back and, and immerse themselves in some of the earlier stuff. I have to say, because I grew up with it all, I did find the film a little bit disappointing, possibly because they just had to leave so much out of it. Uh, but that that's, that's testament to their ability to edit it down into a, a, a cohesive unit in, in you know an hour and a half, whatever it was. Uh, but hopefully it provides a teaser for people to get into the work as a whole. I think also for me, it felt like the movie was dealt with with great, uh, they were very cautious about it in mm. terms of being mm. very respectful of the work of Douglas Adams. There was a lot of his um, personal friends, so we know that the guy, the voice, you know, uh, is Stephen mm-hmm. Fry, who mm-hmm. was a personal friend of Douglas Adams. There was also the thing going on, and, and of course, sadly, Douglas Adams passed away in 2001, so never saw yes. this film. So yes. I think there was a lot of dimensions, which meant that I think the film producers felt perhaps they were treading on the eggshells, and there was an enormous following. So it's a bit like now making a Star Wars movie. It must have been easy to do it in the 70s, than it is to make a Star Wars movie in 2020 onwards. So uh, for me, my reaction was, having seen the film, I now look forward to reading the book because mm-hmm. I haven't. Uh, as, as I've explained, this was uh, something that I missed completely because I think the how... The, the the chose the way in which she's chosen the words, the way in which the sentences are constructed for this kind of uh, satire, I think the reading format is going to be thoroughly enjoyable in my view. And to me, the yeah. film gives me almost like the, 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 the taster of getting into Douglas Adams' uh, genius, really. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And there are, there are some, again, for us geeks, um, in the film, there's a character called Marvin, the paranoid android. Um, I think you ought to know I'm feeling very depressed. And 
obviously the robot is very sleek. It's sort of a circular um, mm. uh, robot with very, very modern looking. And there is one scene in the film uh, set towards the end. If you actually look in the background of the scene, you can actually see the original Marvin, the paranoid android from the TV series, standing in the back of the uh, scene. And I just loved that bit because everybody in the cinema who has seen the original <laughs> TV series simultaneously, oh, look, it's the original Marvin that stood there in the background. And that's when you know it's a true geek's film when people can spot things like that. No, absolutely. So what do you think about marketing such a film which has already decades of of um, you know history of support from fans of all ages and 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 genders and so on it must have been quite tricky but they went ahead with a trailer that was in line with the movie it featured the voice of Stephen Fry as mm. the guide and almost kind of giving an account that would both be uh, appealing to those Near the universe created by Douglas Adams, but also people like me who were new to it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, uh, you almost don't know where to begin because, as you say, you could almost argue that all the previous iterations of the film, book, TV, record, whatever, were all effectively helping to market the film. But that could also have been its Achilles' heel, as you said, because the expectations were set so high. So maybe the marketing was a little bit low-key because they were scared to raise expectations too high. So the trailer was was released, and we know that it was well-received. In fact, back in 2005, it won an award for the Golden Trailer um, uh, award, which is a segment that takes place just to look at the marketing of films, and he got the category of most original, which I think is um, in line with the film. It's quite mm -hmm. an original film, after all. Mm -hmm. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. I mean, it, it, it's almost hard to categorize. I mean, obviously, it's science fiction, but it's just a very, very unique form of science fiction. So then, Stephen Fry. Again, kept busy because with um, with regard to the film being promoted, they were looking at clever ways to attract the attention of the audience. So he, uh, Stephen Fry recorded what they called additional guide entries yes. that were released back then in in on iTunes. Yeah, I mean that was that was absolutely genius that doing that um, because again his voice is so iconic. The original voice of the book was a guy called Peter Jones going way back. And the voices are uncannily different. Right. Uh, sorry, uncannily similar. Sorry, I should have said uncannily similar. And in fact, there's an absolutely joyous bit. I think in the um, radio show, they did some updated versions of the, of the um, fourth and fifth books. They actually did some radio show versions of them about 20 years after the original set, when the original book or reader had died. And they did this remarkable introduction where they segued the two voices together, almost to make it like a glitchy thing. And I, I just love the way that they did that. But yeah, and, and they released the soundtrack as well, Uh now that's all interesting it, all because songs on. all the songs, but the soundtrack came out almost two weeks before the film came yeah, yeah. out. So again, yeah. another way to look after the fans. Um, all songs, including actually the recording of the guy I just mentioned a moment ago with Stephen Fry, so people could enjoy different versions of So Long and Thanks for All the Fish. And Marvin, with his kind of uh, doer statements, had his own remix as well. 
Absolutely, yeah. The Marvin mix is always, always <laughs> made me laugh. So it's so it was released on the twenty eighth of April two thousand and five in the UK. Okay. A day later in the US, um, and yeah, I mean, one one of the things that I liked as well was the the delete the, the the DVD when it came out. Um, I mean, the whole DVD could have been what you get on the screen could have been the original idea for what the guide was like is a video book the ability to check to choose what you want to watch the questions you want to answer but they kept that quirkiness within the dvd setup didn't they with the deleted scenes and the the really deleted scenes and (laughs) you could even sing along to the songs as well absolutely love the way they carried it through I think for me, it's part of its charm and appeal. So not only do we have, you know, the the, uh, the, the experience of I'm going to listen to Stephen Fry, I'm going to listen to the guys, I'm going to listen to the to the track music, then I'm going to see the movie. Then within a matter of a few months, you know, they didn't wait long for the DVD, which I think is is, is a plus really. Back in the days when you had to wait an entire, do you remember those days, Roger? Yeah. Where yeah. now, uh, thinking from April, so that was released in September, there's not a lot goes by. But then you have more. You have audio commentaries, of course. You even have a game where you can play Hangman against Marvin. And, of course, a documentary about how they made the film called Don't Crash, which is obviously mm. another nod to some of the, the key events in the film. And to me, that's what you do. So you create an experience around the core product. So we have a yeah. film, which I know is the result of decades of effort in different format, but there's a wraparound, which is kind of multimedia. You've got, obviously, the um, music. You've got this, you've got the other. Another one that they did was Douglas Adams was actually the producer of the role-playing game, which was, back in the 80s, a text-only game. Remember those days where you mm-hmm. had to say, go north or pick mm-hmm. axe and kill monster? Well, he had mm-hmm. done a version, obviously, based on his book, and to celebrate again the release of the film, BBC Radio 4 website had the game available for free to play for a while. And that game is incredibly hard. <laughs> it's imagine. incredibly hard. I mean, you you actually do have to know the story of the book in order to play the game. Because if you have never read the book, you will have absolutely no chance. You won't even get beyond the first few lines because it's, it sticks to the narrative of the book so utterly carefully but mm. it it's it's extremely challenging yeah this this was a difficult one to talk about because we you and I have come at it from different different approaches you know mm. I have this 30 years of you know I was obsessed with the hitchhiker's guide when I was at school I used to have the words don't panic written on the front of my <laughs> exercise books um, and as I say I, I can recite so many of the passages even now without having to read them I've got them in my head and as I say I used to drive my son mad by doing so. It's fascinating culturally because I spend the 80s and just enough of the 90s in France before I came to the UK. I came to the UK in 91. So there's some elements where I've missed it completely. But if you think about what you know, your culture and by extension the TV and movie industry have, have gifted the world, you've got Doctor Who, you've got obviously you know this one here with the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you've got pe- people like Quatermass and all mm-hmm. those. But it seems to always be linked to technology, yeah. And the environment, if you think about it, there's always that, that kind of duality, which I think is fascinating to observe. I mean, just because of my research, we know that obviously Stephen Fry was a, uh, a good friend of Douglas Adams. Now, Stephen Fry is also 
tech savvy. He, he, mm. you know, he's interested in what you can do with it. Now, Douglas Adams was the first owner of the brand new Mac computer. Stephen Fry was the second. No. <laughs> and I'm sure, I'm sure he didn't you know, let him forget about it. Fantastic. Pascal, we could go on talking. I mean, I, you know, we could go beyond the film or we could start talking about the next part of the story about the restaurants at the end of the universe. You know, if you've done six impossible things before breakfast today, why not round it off with breakfast at Milliways, the restaurants at the end of the universe? You see, I can remember all of these bloody mm. quotes. It's really embarrassing. But I think we are going to have to draw a line <laughs> under our discussion of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy today. Pascal, thank you, as always, for being such a good conversationalist in our joint geekdom. And thank you to everyone who's watched the show today and everybody who has listened to the podcast version of the show please give us your feedback leave comments either on the youtube channel or just get in touch with us on twitter or linkedin let us know what you think until the next episode get out there and make sure that your marketing is done right i was roger edwards and he was pascal fintoni Thank you for listening to the Film Marketing Academy podcast, the audio series dedicated to helping filmmakers create better film marketing campaigns faster. For more information about our film marketing consultancy and training services, go to filmmarketingacademy.com and book your free discovery video call. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe and follow your host on social media for more updates. 